Lord, everybody. Amen. Come on, give me a big Sunday morning smile. Come on, praise the Lord. What a great day it is this morning. Are you ready for the Word of God? I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 22. As you're turning there again, I give high honor to your pastor, to your assistant pastor and youth pastor, and of course their wives and all that they do. And uh, what an awesome job. The students have been doing incredible. I was thinking back and thinking to myself, this is probably the most well thought out and well planned youth weekend that I've ever done. And uh, God has been blessing because of the sacrifice and the preparation. And we're so thankful for that, young people. Amen. Um, And of course, I'd be without to not give honor to my wife who puts up with me. And travels with me all over the place, and so I'm thankful that her and uh, my daughters could be here. We're thankful for all that she does um, for the family. Amen. And so I'm just happy. I'm feeling good. You know, we lost an hour. I say we lost an hour. I know we gained an hour. I think that's how it goes. You spring forward, and but you really, you know, like they said last night, 10 o'clock was 11 o'clock, and so I went to bed somewhere around 12:30 or one, and I got back up at 4 a.m. for devotion. And uh, when I got out into my trailer, of course, me crawling out of bed was like, uh, uh. but by the time I hit my floor, I just felt the presence of God. I feel like God has a specific purpose for this church and for this service today, and I am expecting nothing more than just God to show up and to show out and to just have his way. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the word of the Lord and see what the word can edify us this morning. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, the son, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Verse 23. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said this, watch, watch Jesus' reply. He said, it is not meat to take the children's bread. Everybody say the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And when this lady heard that, she didn't get offended. She didn't get upset. She simply said this, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And... Jesus, when he heard the woman's response, he said, O woman, great is thy faith. Watch this. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. In other words, according to your faith, so be it unto you. If God is a big God and God is a great God and God is uh, a capable God, then guess what? God is going to be a big God. God will be a capable God, and God will be an able God. But if your God is just a small God and, you know, weak God, then that is what's going to be in your life. According to your faith, so be it unto you. Amen. In essence, this woman understood that Jesus couldn't take her children's bread and give it to her. But this woman also understood that with Jesus' power and Jesus' touch, 
She didn't need the entire loaf of bread. All she needed was just one crumb. And just for a quick brief of preaching, I would say this morning that all it takes right now is for one touch of the master and whatever you have come in here today with could completely be changed or healed. You could have sickness in your body and one crumb could heal that sickness. You could have infirmity. You could have troubled minds. And with one touch from Jesus, you could walk out of here completely changed by the power of just one crumb. But here, Brother Aaron, this morning as I have come to try to challenge your thinking and who you are in the eyes of the Father. You are not a dog, my friend. You are a child, and the child is not just relegated to one little crumb that falls off the table. The child is relegated to the entire loaf of bread. If one crumb could heal that lady's daughter, how much more is locked up and an entire loaf of bread amen so when I read this scripture the Lord asked me this question Aaron are you living above the table or are you living beneath the table are you living above the table or beneath the table and with the help of God that's what I want to preach this morning would you set your Bibles down would you lift your hands one more time and just ask them to touch the minister today my voice my throat to help me to minister and I'm going to pray for you go ahead would you lift up your voice would you ask God to move in a supernatural way this morning Lord you know your people God you know every need that's represented here this morning I'm asking that your power that your grace Lord that your mercy would flow in this service in a mighty way God make this Lord a culmination of what has been happening in the last several days Lord I pray that your spirit would even intensify God as the word is going forth let faith arise in somebody's heart God and as the youth have sung Lord let there be a breakthrough God in every area in every aspect, a breakthrough in our minds, a breakthrough in our homes, a breakthrough in our marriages, a breakthrough in our city, a breakthrough, God, on our job, a breakthrough in our finances. I pray that you would fall into this house and you would just break through in the name of Jesus. Come on, would you clap your hands to the Lord? Amen. You may be seated. The latest craze that has absolutely rocked Pennsylvania and the northeastern states has been this discovery of natural gas that's found underneath the Marcellus Shale. This discovery of natural gas has brought approximately 100,000 jobs to Pennsylvania, and it's estimated to last anywhere from the next 25 to 75 years. Landowners, when this boom hit about six or seven years ago, landowners were absolutely ecstatic as gas drilling companies would come to their door and they would knock on their door and they would offer to purchase uh, the gas rights that was beneath uh, their property. For example, a hunting club up in, above the mountains in the mountains up top uh, called the Bowling Green when this gas boom came to Pennsylvania. They were offered, uh, we had like a thousand acres or so, and they were offered three million dollars just to sell the gas rights uh, that they would never ever be able to use uh, on their own. There was some that had opposed this discovery of natural gas and drilling for this gas because uh, they were naturalists and they felt the fracking methods of extracting uh, this gas was harmful to the trout streams and to the wildlife. But for the most part, people were happy to 
collect a nice paycheck uh, in return for something that they would never ever be able to uh, cash in on. So this discovery of natural gas has changed Pennsylvania uh, thoroughly. Caleb and I would drive to work when I was working a secular job and uh, as we would pass by all the hotels on the Golden Strip and all the hotels uh, that were on uh, the, the route of 180, we would comment frequently of how every hotel was completely full with gas trucks, uh, white gas truck workers, Halliburton, and all these other gas companies descended upon our little town uh, and overwhelmed us. Uh, there was hotels that literally just uh, mirrored uh, their hotel and doubled uh, by adding on an addition that was the same uh, uh, size as what they originally was to house the influx of people that were coming into this Pennsylvania area. We used to be able to get off of Faxon Street exit and go down to Golden Strip where about a mile road where all the restaurants were and all the, the you know Friday night places were that you would go, Ruby Tuesdays, Olive Garden, all that. And we used to be able to just get off the highway and go right down and, and get through after one go of the light. But with the influx of people that came into Pennsylvania and the Williamsport area, there would be times on a Friday night where the traffic uh, was backed all the way up to the highway and even spilling over onto the highway because uh, of the influx of people. Apartments raised their rent because they knew that gas companies would pay a premium dollar and that they could afford a high rent. And so this discovery is and has changed many things about Pennsylvania. But for 200 plus years, there have been billions of dollars of natural gas beneath the surface of Pennsylvania. And for 200 plus years, the people of Pennsylvania have been living here, yet we have gone without and been clueless as the value that was beneath the surface. I say that the latest craze that has hit Pennsylvania is what's beneath the surface. The latest craze in Pennsylvania is that people are discovering that there's so much more value to their land than what they can see with their naked or their natural eye. All of a sudden, landowners in Pennsylvania are viewing their land as more valuable than just what they can see on the surface, the snow that they have to shovel the leaves they have to rake, the, the lawn that they have to mow, but people began to look beyond the surface uh, for more value. The amazing thing is this morning is that it had been there the entire time. The natural gas was just beneath our feet the entire time, and we didn't even know it until the last several years. Every time we would go out of our house and play with our children, uh, the value was there. Every time we would get into the car, and drive to the to the mini market the value was beneath uh, the surface uh, but we went without because uh, we did not go beyond the surface we were clueless as the value up uh, to the value that was beneath uh, the surface and this morning I don't know about you but I don't want to wake up one day in my walk with God and realize uh, that there was so much more available to me but I went without because I lived on the surface in my walk with God I don't want to wake up one day and realized that God had a plan and a purpose for my life, but I went without because I lived life on the surface. But rather this morning I say this, God, if you have a plan for my life, if you have a purpose for my life, let me receive that purpose today. Amen. I have found this, that our mentalities, our mindsets, somebody point to your mind and say, my thinking 
the way we perceive this God thing will do one of two things. It will either launch us into all that God has for our life or it's going to hold us back from what God has for us. The way we think about God, the way we understand who God is and our relationship with God will either push us forward or pull us back. So it is I have observed in my own life and not just mine but the lives of students and saints of God that there is a challenge for the people of God to go beyond the surface and who they really are in the eyes of the Father. Amen. In our opening scripture text we read just moments ago, the Bible said that a woman approached Jesus for help because her daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. At first, Jesus ignored this lady, but when his disciples came to him and told him that, answer her, she's now coming to us and asking us, deal with her. And Jesus' response to his disciples was a unique one. He said this, it's not me to take the children's bread, everybody say the children's bread, and cast it to the dogs. Perhaps from our culture, our, to be honest, our oversensitive culture, we would get offended because we would think that Jesus just called us a dog. But if you just look at this, you know, there's not a really, I, I'm saying this lightly, I'm not blanket state, putting a blanket statement on it, but when Jesus is reaching for people, there's, there's, there's not a mean spirit about Jesus. He... He talked to the lady that was caught in the act of adultery and said, just go and sin no more. The rest of you, who's without sin, cast the first stone. And so we have to understand something about Jesus, that he wasn't being mean-spirited to this woman. What Jesus was doing here was he was simply painting a picture, a mind picture for this lady who was a mother at the time and basically showing her a picture of what she was asking and why he couldn't just do it. You see, this woman wasn't a Jew. This woman was a Gentile. She wasn't considered a, a child of God. He said, I've come to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when Jesus begins to paint this picture and he puts the, the, the children and the dog in perspective, what he was just saying is, I can't take the Jews' portions and give it to you, a Gentile. He wasn't being mean spirit. He was just painting this mother a picture. And any mother such as this lady would understand that we don't take our children's bread and feed the dogs. Our children don't go without and our dogs are full. That's what Jesus was doing here. And so Jesus wasn't being mean spirited at all. He was just telling her, I can't take the Jews' portions and give it to you, a Gentile. And that'd be the same as here this morning. There's not a father in here. There's not a mother in here living under the parameters of a godly relationship with God that would take your children's bread and feed your dog as your children starve. That's what Jesus was saying, and any mother could understand that. You know, Brother Aaron has a 70-pound Labradoodle. Actually, if somebody goes let him out of the trailer, he'll come running in here bouncing and barking and licking and slobbering and uh, having a good old time. Pastor's seen him. Uh, you know, youth pastor just seen him. He's like, he told me this morning, man, you got a big dog in your trailer. I said, that's right. You try to put five people in a big old 70, 80-pound Labrador on it, it gets a little tight at some point in time. And, you know, my dog Cooper knows better to sit in the same room that I'm sitting in and beg for food. I cannot stand it 
when I'm under my house and in my roof and I'm cutting the back straps from a, a buck or a doe that I harvested and I'm getting ready to put that steak to my mouth and all I hear is and I look over and there's Cooper and his, his tongue is wrapping around his snout and it goes around the bottom of his snout and he's lapping up the salivation that's falling out of his mouth and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I look into the kitchen uh, and sure enough, uh, his bowl is overflowing with dog food uh, and he has plenty of water and I'm thinking, you're making me feel like a terrible provider. I, uh, I can go to your house and feed your dog. You could feed me broccoli or something. <coughs> and I distinctly and purposely say, hey, could you go in the kitchen and grab me a drink? The moment you turned your back, I'd be like, Ch -ch 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 -ch, and feed the dog the broccoli. I can do that at your house. I'm not a dog hater. I love dogs. But in my own house, at my own dinner table, I can't stand it when Cooper begs. It makes me feel like a terrible provider, to be honest with you. Um, it'll be funny. I'll be making something. And I remember I got laid off like five, six years ago. And so I harvested three dough that year. And and uh, anyway, I would ask the girls every day, what do you want for lunch? And they were like, Dad, deer steak. I'm like, score. That's what I'm talking about. And so I'd whip out the deer steak, and I'd begin to fry it up on the pan. <coughs> and I'd begin to make it. And our glass door, the, the entry to the house is right here, and it's a glass door. And you can see if somebody's standing there out of your peripheral from the stove. And I'll be doing my thing, and, and I can feel Somebody's looking at me, and, and I look over, and there is Cooper standing by the door, and he's just beaming a hole in me. And, and as soon as I will turn my head and look at him, he goes like this. And he'll, like, break eye contact with me, and, like, ten seconds later, he'll be like. And he'll peek out of the corner of his eye like, are you still there? It's like those little children, you know, uh, the babies. It's like, Daddy, come find me. It's like, you're right here. No, you got to come find me. And they think because they broke eye contact that you can no longer see them. Well, that's how Cooper is. I, you know, we have... Uh, we have had an epidemic in our house where food will just disappear. The trash can will be overturned. And Jess claims she didn't do it. The girls claim that they didn't do it. And Cooper denies that he did it. And so I have had to do this. I would literally open the basement door and I'd slip in the basement door. And the trash can would be sitting right there. Like if I open the door, I could reach out and touch it in the kitchen. And so I'd shut the door. And my dog has this sixth sense. Man, I can't hardly say it. Sixth sense. Number six sense. <laughs> and he has this sense. It's like your mom. You know what I'm talking about. They all have it, eyes in the back of the head. They'll be washing dishes, and on the island behind them is fresh cookies. And as a ninja, we would slip up, and we would be trying to find out where the cookies were. And all of a sudden, like a ninja, your mom, without even stopping what she would do, and would grab the spatula and be like, Wassa! and whap your hand. And you are like, what in the world? How did you see that? It's their sixth sense. And Cooper has that same ability. He knows when the dining room has been vacated we'll be sitting there trying to eat and I'll be like Cooper get out of here I, I can't take it anymore go I don't feel bad because this dish is still overflowing 
go. And like a, you know, he's, he's up there in dog years. How old is he, Jess? 11 in dog years. That's like what, like 99 or something like that, 77 or, and like our years. And so he should be mature. You know what I mean? Mature. Take a beating or take a, a, a correction like a man. And I'm like, Cooper, get out of here. And we got hardwood floors, and uh, he has long toenails, and he'll go like this. He'll get up and just throw his head down in an attitude, and he'll be like this. His whole way, and he just drags his feet and his toenails on the floor, or like, and he'll go into the living room, and there he'll just be like, thump. It's like, you don't even lay down with dignity, dog. You don't even lay down like a man. Just sit down calmly. No, you throw your 80 pounds all over my wood floor like a child. And so I'll say, Cooper, just go. You know, because when he's in the living room, do you ever go to like Walmart or something like that? And you're like, at the toothpaste aisle, you're getting, you know, you're at the scarf aisle trying to find a scarf that's not see-through or, you know, something that's a little more heavier or something like that. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there and, and, and you just feel somebody is looking at you. You know they're looking at you. And you're like, And then all of a sudden, six aisles down, is that, that creepy person just looking at you, wondering if it was you in their 1948 yearbook? Did they go to high school with you? And you're like, ah, and you just scamper away out of the aisle. Well, that's what happens uh, when Cooper goes and lays in the living room. You'll still be trying to eat, but he'll just be like. And he will beam a hole right through you. And so we'll say, go upstairs. And so now I'm in the, bat, the, the basement doorway, and, and all of a sudden, mom's gone. The kids go, and like Cooper, like a Clydesdale, that sense kicks in, and he's like, down on the landing. He makes a hard left, and he goes running into the kitchen, and he will run right by the trash can. He'll be like this. And if there's anything in the trash can worth taking a beating over, he will lock up the brakes, turn around, and plunge his head into the trash can and find whatever it is that he sensed. If not, he will just keep going. He'll make a hard right, and he'll go right into our dining room. And Cooper's head's pretty tall when it is, and he'll just put his head above the table. And like NASCAR, he'll circle around the table looking for anything that has been left over. You know, there's children in here, and they make these booster seats with the tray in them, and they got the padding in them and stuff. Sometimes when you're in a hurry, you just clean them up, and a grain of rice might have fallen down in the midst of this pad or something, or a pea got smashed in there, and you just didn't have the time to clean it. And, you know, you come back a couple days later, and you're like, man, mercy. And you clean it up or something. In our house, that does that isn't a problem because Cooper, he one of his first stops is he'll run to that chair, and he'll put his face right in that chair and begin to sniff. And if anything his nostril he will find whatever it is it doesn't matter if it's a smashed pea it doesn't matter if it was a piece of grease from a, a steak that rolled onto the table he will lick it off he will sniff up the crumb he will eat the rice he will eat it all and when he's done he's like score and his mission's a success and like a champion he struts out of our living room As a father, I have observed uh, that there are two different mentalities at my own dinner table. Above the table where my children eat, I'll hear comments like, Dad, can I have the last hot buttery roll? But 
no, this is mine, get back. And as a matter of fact, I've come up with this saying in my household. I will say this, get your grubby little raccoon paws out of here. You know why? Because above the table, it doesn't matter. If it's on a plate, it doesn't matter if it's their plate, your plate, they're going to reach for it. Don't, don't break eye contact with me, Zane. I've seen the way you just walked up to your mom and stole her drink. Somebody needs to take a lap. Come on. And then I see Pastor with his psychology. No, no, give that back to your mom. He sets it down and Pastor goes, okay, there you go. <laughs> My, Madison has used child psychology on me, and, and I'm trying to recall. I don't know exactly what the, the meal was, and just use hot buddy rule as a, an example, but Brooklyn was coming onto the scene, and we were teaching her how to share, and one day she's like, hey, mom, daddy's going to share, or, or daddy's going to share his hot buttery roll because it's good to share, right, daddy? I'm like, No. Ninja mode kicks on. I'll do a roundhouse kick right now. This is my role. This is my plate. <laughs> I got this sweet action move. I got a deadly, a deadly sweep kick. Mercy. Madison will say this. And no doubt it's not just Madison. She'll be like, oh, I'm full. Oh, I'm stuffed. I can't eat another bite. You left all your broccoli. You don't think I see through that? I'm stuffed. I can't eat anymore. Can I be dismissed? You know what? That's fine. Get your plate. Put it in the, over by the sink. <coughs> and 20 seconds later, hey, Dad, can I have a couple brownies? Yeah, that's what I thought. Three quarters of the congregation turned their head when I looked at you because you do the same exact thing when you were a kid. Come on, we knew how to play the game. Above the table, you would eat the things that you liked and the things you didn't like. You would do your best to, to try to shovel it on another plate or excuse yourself, but then you would be like, I want some dessert. Come on. I ate with several people this weekend, and they still kind of have that mentality. We'll just move on. In my own house, I have observed two completely dinner mentalities. And the funny thing is, is though both these mentalities are only separated by one inch of wood. That's right. You have the mentality that is above the table and you have the mentality that is below the table. The mentality that is above the table comes from my children uh, and the mentality that is below the table comes from Cooper, my dog. And I want to tell you something this morning. The contrast uh, between these two mentalities is absolutely startling. The one eats uh, without hesitation and the other one begs. Uh, the one isn't afraid to ask for more while the other one just wants a taste uh, of the leftovers. The one without apprehension uses their position as my child uh, to get more and the other one sneaks around uh, and hopes to get some. The one 
feeds without guilt and fear and the other one hopes he doesn't get caught the one enjoys the relationship with the father at the dinner table and the other one avoids the relationship with the father at the dinner table the one knows that the father wants to provide for them and the other one hopes that the father would provide for, provide for them and here's the mentality that I'm talking about this morning if you could only see yourself the way God sees you you wouldn't walk around in your walk with God like a dog barely getting by like a dog begging for crumbs but you would be able to step up to the plate and say God I want some steak or God I need this or God can you help me here God can you provide for me there Listen, you would be surprised at how many people live beneath uh, their privilege as a child of God because they have a thwarted view uh, of the way that God sees them. Uh, I don't take my children's steak uh, and feed it to Cooper. I don't take their portions and give it to Cooper. Why? There's not a father in here that would do such a thing. Uh, but I say that to say this. Uh, I don't understand why so many are content with crumbs uh, when God has given you an entire table to feed on of and I'm trying to preach this morning against a crummy mentality that sets you below your rightful place at the dinner table and places you on the same playing fields as dogs barely getting by dogs begging for just a, a crumb listen you're not a dog you're not a dog somebody you are the child of God you are the son of God you are the daughter of God the God I serve purchased you with his own blood he took stripes on his back for you he went to Calvary for you he took a crown of thorns for you. He took a spear in the side for you. Why? Because he loves you and wants a relationship with you. Amen. 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 You know, there's two sons that are mentioned in the Bible. The one son's preached about a lot more than the other son. And he goes by the, the title of the prodigal son. We know the prodigal son. The prodigal son was the one that literally was living in the father's house. And somehow his attention got distracted, diverted, and he began to look elsewhere. He went to his father and said, Father, he said, Father, give me my inheritance, the things that belong to me, divide them. So his father did. His father divided the inheritance, gave him what belonged to him, and that young son walked out of the father's house and went into a far country in the, in, in the world, the Bible says. Made a journey to a far country. There, he began to spend his entire inheritance upon righteous living prostitutes the whole night. And he became the life of the party. And the Bible says this, that when he spent all that he had, a great famine arose in the land. It's not a coincidence that the Lord's talking like this or this, this, the prodigal son is being, being spoken because there are too many people that have gotten distracted and they have walked out into the world. They have walked, they've, they've stepped over the property line and the boundaries of the father's house. They left the house of God. They, they went out into the world. And when they went out into the world, the pleasure of sin for a season lasted for just a season. And when that season was over, all of a sudden they realized that this is not what it was all cracked up to be. There's death. There's a a famine that's wrapped up in sin uh, and, and we know it. that's how sin works sin will lure you sin will pull at you sin will entice you with your own lust uh, and then when lust hath conceived it brings forth sin and when sin is finished it brings forth death now in this state of death uh, this younger son he 
came on hard times. In fact, the Bible says that he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and there he would have fain filled his own belly with the slop and the husk that the pigs were eating. He got in such a condition that he was going to wrestle pigs for food. The one that had it all now has nothing. And at the bottom of his rope, watch the revelation that comes over this young man. He's in, he's starving for food. He's dirty. He comes to the bottom of his rope and he says, this is crazy. Not even the servants in my father's house go without food, and yet here I am begging for bread. In the father's house, even the servants have everything that they need. That's what happens in the father's house. Not just the sons and the daughters, but the servants are taken care of. I'm resolved. I know what I'll do. I'll clean myself up. I'm going to go back to the fathers. And I'm going to say, I'm no more worthy to be your son. Make me a hired servant. Uh, make me a servant. And so he cleans himself up. He made his journey back. How many has ever done that? You've made your journey back to the father's house. Man, you got egg all over your face. You're guilty. You know you're guilty. You know that you did wrong. Come on, am I the only one? Come on, I've made that journey more times than I would like to admit. But I'm thankful that the Bible said that when the father saw this young, young son a far, way, a far distance, uh, he didn't send the servant out to greet him and, and tell him not to come back. He didn't send the servant out to inquire of him. The Bible said the father saw him, uh, and he ran to his son, uh, and he began to hug him and kiss him. And he said, kill the fatted calf, clothe him again, uh, put shoes on his feet. My son that was lost is now home uh, again. Somebody, I don't care where you have been and what you have done. Don't you ever let, let the devil convince you that you've gone too far to, to get back to the the father's house that you've gone further than what the Lord Lord will be willing to forgive you don't you ever let anybody condemnation guilt or shame rob you of your return back to the father's house if you knew the father's heartbeat he's waiting and watching for that return but this is where the the other son comes into the play into the picture because as the <coughs> the Younger son comes back, the party's starting, chandeliers are shaking, the, the, the smell from the pit is ascending as they're cooking the fatted calf. And the Bible says that the, the elder brother, who is still serving, comes from off the field. Musicians, whoever you are, please join me. He's coming from off the field. And he hears the music, he hears the, the, the celebration, and he pulls the servant aside and he said, what is this? What's going on? And the servant tells him, your younger brother has returned, and your father received him safe and sound, and he has killed for him the fatted calf. And they're making merry, they're parting, they're celebrating. And upon hearing these words, the elder brother did what? He refused to go into the party. He refused to go back to where his younger son was. And it got so awkward that the father comes out from the party and he goes and he looks his son in the face, the elder son, and he asks him the million dollar question. Can you see what I'm talking about? It kind of seemed like the son, the father was playing favorites on the younger son. The son disgraced the home. The son mocked his father. And now the father is literally throwing a party and uh, everybody look up at brother Aaron here let them get in their position I'm going to wrap it up here as the, the, the father is throwing the party the elder son felt like he was playing favorites 
Matter of fact, when the father came to him, he said this. Uh, he said, son, what's what's going on? It was the question. You know what it's like where you're stewing over something. You feel validated and, and you feel right in your decisions. And he says, son, what's going on? And, and, and the son kind of just explodes. He said, look, father, I have served you all of these years. I have never transgressed you not one time. I've never broken your commandments. I've never went against you. As a matter of fact, it was the elder brother who was still serving when the younger brother came home. Can you see why he felt validated in his feelings? Can you see why it seemed like the father was playing favorites? And uh, as this, uh, this elder brother is just spewing out his feelings and his uh, thoughts on it, uh, the father kind of let the smoke kind of clear. And then uh, he said something that I, I believe rocked uh, that elder brother to the core when he got done telling him his feelings and his validating resume the father looked at him and said look son you said it yourself you have been with me all of these years and then he said this all that I had was already yours everything that I had available was already yours in other words if you wanted a baby goat or a cat to go make merry with your friends it was available you could have went to the barn and got yourself a coat uh, and had yourself a party uh, if you wanted to live it up with your friends uh, you could have done that everything that I have uh, was already yours what an earth shaking uh, eye opening wake up call for that elder brother who lived in the father's house all these years uh, but he didn't go beyond the surface uh, and who he was Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith God. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give to you an expected end. Luke eleven ten. For everyone that asketh, receiveth he that seeks, finds he that knocketh, it will be open. If son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And he says this, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more would your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? And this morning, I've come to reach to somebody and ask you, how much more? If you know how to bless your own children, how much more does the Father want to bless you today? How much more does God want to provide for you? How much more does God want to move in your home, your situations, your, your, your needs? How much more? I'll never forget when I was asked in 2013 to go to Connecticut. I go to Connecticut and I preach for a pastor every year. They have an anniversary and they asked me, the last couple of years they've asked me to come in and take over while they're gone. I preached Sunday morning and we had a good move of God and Sunday night came and there was a unique power of God that was in that, that place and I began to preach about living right and doing right and making sure that you're not slipping and falling away and talking about Balaam and I gave the altar call and people came out of their seats they responded they were laying on the floor they were repenting I was repenting I was saying God don't let me slip I, I, I want to be right don't remove me from a place of righteousness and there was a power of the Holy Ghost in the place and about three quarters away through the altar call I felt God speak to me and said you need to give an old fashioned prayer line I said okay so I called up the elders so I need the elders to come. I need you to face each other. If you don't know what an old-fashioned prayer line is, it's when the elders or the ministry of the church get together and, and one would stand right here where my brother is and I would stand here and, and whoever needs a fresh touch, whoever needs something in their life, they would line up and they would come through and the elders would... 
them and speak to them and let God move. And God, God would do incredible things. And so the elders gathered together and and uh, began to pray. People, the whole church stood up and just began to walk through. And I'm like, man, this is going to be a long night. They began to came through, come through about three quarters away through that line. I noticed I was on the, on the end catching them as they come out. I was speaking faith and just encouraging them as the Lord moved them way in. I noticed three quarters away through the, the prayer line was a Spanish gentleman. Uh, uh, you know, and you could tell that he wasn't used to this. You could tell that he wasn't churched, perceived that. And as he's coming through, he has his hands up, and people are just, man, really praying with a fervency. And they're praying, and they're praying, and he's coming through with his hands up. Uh, and as he gets about halfway through the line, uh, and he gets a little closer to where it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty personable. And, and he comes there, and all of a sudden, the power of God touched him. Uh, and he goes like this. He goes, oh! It really, it scared me, if I was to be honest with you. I'm like, Beelzebub's going to attack me or something. He's coming out. He's like, oh, I feel something. He put his hands back up in the air. He goes to praying again. All of a sudden, oh, I feel something. Man, it's kind of weird. He's rubbing his arms, just saying, I feel something. People were praying with all their might and their heart. And I looked down at his dark, complected skin and his arms, and they have goosebumps upon goosebumps upon goosebumps. And he said, I feel something. He lifts his hands again and again. It repeats the cycle. And as he's coming out of the line and I'm praying, I lean to one of the brothers and I say, Does he have the Holy Ghost? And he said, No. No, he doesn't have the Holy Ghost. And so I stopped this man. I said, Sir, what do you feel? And he said, I don't know. I feel something. I said, would you like God to fill you with the Holy Ghost? And he said, yes, 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 I would. I said, well, get ready because what you feel on the outside, you're about ready to feel on the inside. I led this man through repentance, and we began to repent. And I told him, lift our hands, and we're going to begin to worship. And, and as we worship, you're going, to feel the, you're going to feel the presence of God move closer to you. You know, you know that's how it's designed to work? That when you have a bright heart and a pure heart, and you really want more than anything, God, to touch your life, then that's, that's what it's. That's how it works. He began to raise his hands, and the power of God, you could feel it. It, it was like it just, it was a vacuum and just sucked everything right to where this man was. And I know God's everywhere present. I'm just saying you could feel it intensify. And uh, this man began to tremble, and I said, are you ready? Uh, I said, get ready because I'm going to lay my hands on you, and the power of God's going to touch your life. Uh, I said, here it comes. And I said, right now, in the name of Jesus, and I put my hand on his head and began to pray faith. And he goes like this, oh, I feel something. thinking, well now, that's not how it was supposed to work. It kind of threw me for a loop, and I didn't know exactly what to do. I think it was Billy Cole's tapes. He said, pray again, or maybe David Smith. And so I said, you know what, let's repent again of our sins. And long story short, we began to repent again. And I told him, I said, now lift your hands and let the Lord fill you with the Holy Ghost. And he lifted his hands, and I told the elders around him, I said, on the count of three, we're going to all lay our hands on this man, and we're going to pray that God fills him with the Holy Ghost. The time was right. The faith was there. And we said, one, two, three. And each and every one of us laid our hands on this man and prayed that God would fill him with the Holy Ghost. Uh, being bilingual, when we put our hands on his head, he threw his head back, uh, and he began to just tremble and shake uh, under the power of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I leaned to one of the other brothers. I said, is he speaking in Spanish? And he leaned up to him. And when he came back 10 seconds later, he said, no, sir, that's not Spanish. Uh, well, I knew it what it was. 
was because it wasn't English and it wasn't Spanish. I realized uh, that God just filled that man with the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues for the very first time. And when I told the church that, not knowing the situations, the church uh, erupted and began to dance and began to shout and began to celebrate. I've never done it, but I felt just a little bit later as the church uh, service had shifted and now the power of God was flowing. Uh, I felt to give this man the mic and let him testify of his experience. And so I did, and uh, the first words that came out of this man's mouth was this. Uh, Since the age of 13, uh, I have been a self-professing uh, atheist. In other words, the man since 13 years of age, now in his upper 40s, uh, had denied God's existence. He cursed God. I later found out uh, that the lady behind him weeping and crying happened to be his fiance of three years. God had miraculously touched her three years ago, and she had come into the church and been saved. Uh, but because he was an atheist, uh, he, he had wreaked havoc on that relationship. Uh, he would make fun. Uh, he would curse God. He would laugh at God. Uh, and the only reason he was there was because... Uh, this lady begged him to come that Sunday uh, and he walked into the church uh, and there he sat and listened to the word of God uh, he told me later he said this Aaron uh, when you gave that prayer line uh, he said this God spoke to me uh, and told me if I don't go through that line uh, I'm going to be lost I'm not an eavesdropper, but I would have loved to sit in a room where there's a God that has been cursed uh, all, all of this man's existence and a man uh, that doesn't believe in him all of a sudden. Uh, the God of all creation uh, speaks to this man that was an atheist and tells him, uh, if you don't go through that line, you're going to be lost for eternity. The church, I can't uh, overestimate the church. The people were just dancing and worshiping. We went crazy. Why? Because the Lord took a crumb. And flicked it off the table. And a man that denied him and cursed him and denied his existence reached out, took a crumb, and was filled with the Holy Ghost. Three months later, my phone began to erupt uh, as two of the ministers began to text me saying, man, so-and-so is doing so good. Uh, he is bringing his family to church. He's inviting co-workers to church. Uh, he has become a soul-winning machine. Uh, I got a text or PM several months later said, Aaron, I thank God uh, for that message uh, because I used to wake up every morning and I was addicted to drugs uh, and I was addicted to alcohol. He said, but now I come to church and every Sunday I speak in tongues uh, as God works in my life I'm not addicted uh, to the things that I was addicted to anymore I'll never forget a year later when I came back for the next anniversary uh, and the altar call came and I watched as that ex-atheist uh, began to dance around his brother speaking in tongues and his brother falls to his knees uh, speaking in tongues uh, as the Spirit of God filled him uh, with the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget I got to the platform uh, and I looked down and it was the ex-atheist, uh, now his wife, uh, his oldest daughter, his youngest daughter, his son, uh, his niece and his brother. Uh, I'll never forget it when he danced around his daughter and his daughter Received the baptism uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, with the evidence of speaking uh, in other tongues. You say, Aaron, what are you trying to say? Uh, if God would do that for a man that cursed him uh, and denied his existence, uh, how much more does God want to bless you today? How much more does God want to bless his children? I'll never forget I was invited to a maximum security penitentiary. Begin to preach on the Holy Ghost. 
By the time the altar came, not one, not two, but three inmates serving life raised their hands and said, I spoke in another language as God touched my life. If God would do that for them, how much more does God want to move in this service right now? Let me just be real with you. This church needs a breakthrough. I looked in enough eyes. I felt enough spirits. This church needs a breakthrough tonight, this morning. Somebody's carrying weights that you shouldn't be carrying. Burdens you shouldn't be carrying. You're facing things that have worn you out and worn your mind down, full of anxiety, fears, and stress. And I say that today is the day that you step up to the table. You know, to be honest with you, if God would, my friend, pull back the, the veil that separates the natural from the supernatural, and we'd begin to see into the Spirit, what you would see this morning is from that side of the wall to this side of the wall is a table. And on that table is miracles, signs, wonders, and fillings of the Holy Ghost, deliverance, peace of mind, strength of spirit, relief from anxieties, relief from attacks. The question is, are you living above the table or are you living beneath the table? Ball's in your court this morning. I know I probably pressed the limits on the time. But the truth of the matter is, as I'm telling you, God's wanting to break into this house. And I'm not just talking to the youth. I'm talking as I'm looking back at adults and I can see into your spirit by your eyes. You need to be coming out of your seat right now. Not as a dog. Not as one barely getting by. But as a child, you need to step up to the plate, the table, and you need to say, God, this is what I need. Can you move in my life? Go ahead, sis. Lead us into a song. Our Father, all of heaven roars your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you 